Good morning. It's a pleasure to be with you all this morning, and I'm grateful to Pastor Jeff for extending the invitation to once again be here in the pulpit and hopefully do my best to bring a good word from God. Our second reading today is from the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who, for the sake of the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such hostility against himself for sinners, so that you may not grow weary or lose heart. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. This summer here at Wesley Memorial, we've been exploring our faith by focusing on the various statements made through the Apostles' Creed. Until now, much of the creed has focused on the beliefs we hold about the Trinitarian God, that is, what we believe about God the Father, about God the Son, Jesus, and about God the Holy Spirit. Today, however, we focus on two statements, that we believe in the Holy Catholic Church and the communion of saints. And these statements mark an important shift in the creed. They move from our belief in who God is to our belief in who we are in light of who God is. And this is potentially difficult. In some ways, I feel like Jeff may have set me up and planned to be gone on a difficult day. That's not the case, by the way. No, it's, it's not difficult because these are difficult concepts to understand, but because we're not so much talking about God's nature as much as we are about human nature. And when we talk about the church, we're not talking about a kind of philosophical logic that we need to explain and understand and analyze together, like what it means for God to be three in one, or what it means for Jesus to be fully human and fully divine. When we talk about the church, we're talking about one another, about you and about me. And I don't know about you, but I think I can certainly be pretty illogical at times. Gandhi once famously said when he was asked about Christianity, I like your Christ, but not your Christianity. And we may all know those who may be quick to distance themselves from the formal side of going to church. We may have heard people say they are happy to be spiritual, but not religious. Each of these statements signal the ease with which many people like to think and to talk about God and about Jesus, but they may have more than a few misgivings about the church. And yet, God has established the church as the central and the most common way that God continues to reveal himself to the world. We read in the Gospels that Christ said to Peter, his disciple, that Peter would be his rock. And upon him he would build his church. And then in the book of Acts we read about the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit descended like tongues of fire on a gathered crowd as Peter was preaching about Jesus. And there thousands were converted, which led to the conclusion of that chapter stating that the church grew day by day as they spent time in the temple, broke bread with one another, and praised God. 
This was the birth of the church. And we continue those practices and those kinds of gatherings to this day when we meet together on a Sunday or throughout the week and in various ways to go to church together. So then what do we even mean when we say church? In the book of Acts, they describe those early Christians gathering, praising God, breaking bread together. The United Methodist Church has a very formal-sounding definition in the Book of Discipline stating that the church is a community of true believers under the lordship of Christ where the word of God is proclaimed and the sacraments duly administered. And many of you may know the familiar song that defines the church. It tells us the church is not a building, the church is not a steeple, the church is not a resting place, the church is the people you know the rest? I am the church. You are the church. Feel free to join anytime, Frank. We are the church. Together, all who follow Jesus all around the world. Yes, we're the church together. Each of these statements signal an ease with which many people like to talk and think about church. And there's nothing wrong with any of those. But if we go all the way back to the Apostles' Creed, we find a few brief but very important talking points. That is, the church is holy and Catholic, and it has something to do with the communion of the saints. These first two adjectives, holy and Catholic, that is, Catholic with a small c, meaning universal, they help us articulate a very distinctive nature of the church. These two characteristics set the church apart from any other kind of gathering we might attend throughout the week, any other group to which we may belong. And they set the bar incredibly high. To claim that the church is holy, that's to say that the church is without blame, that it's a perfect institution. And I, I don't have to look much further than myself than to say there may be some disqualified individuals as a part of that kind of institution. It reminds me of a quote from Groucho Marx when the comedian, when he was asked about belonging and leaving a club in Hollywood, and he said he wouldn't want to be a part of any club that would have him as a member. I'll be the first to admit I have difficulty calling the church holy if, in fact, they include me as a member. Holiness is a high standard. And yet we believe the church is holy but not because of our faithfulness to God, but because of God's faithfulness to us. This is the story of God's people throughout all of Scripture. God called Abraham to be set apart, called Israel to be a great nation through which all the world would learn of God's love. And yet, time and time again, Israel wandered away from God, fell away from His way, and the prophets were sent to call them back to faithfulness. But even the prophets... Many of them resisted that. Think of Jonah. Think of Jeremiah. And even Peter, not long after Christ said upon him he would build his church, on the day of Christ's crucifixion, Peter denies him three times. As Christ's church, we are this same set-apart community. At times we have great faith. At times we are in need of a whole lot more. But always we are the community that God continues to choose to be the most common and the most consistent channel of spreading God's love to the world, of spreading God's grace to a world in need of redemption. And it's because we are Christ's church, not an institution of our own making, that we can claim.
to be holy. We go on to say that in addition to being holy, that we believe the church is Catholic, that is, that it's universal, that it has a unity that spans across geographic and cultural divides. On one hand, we may understand what it means and how distinctive it is to say that we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that that claim alone is distinctive enough and specific enough to unite us as believers and followers of Christ regardless of any other difference that we may have. And yet, the reality is finding that unity is incredibly difficult. The Apostle Paul in the first chapter of his letter to the church in Corinth, we read a later part of it as our first reading today, this letter to the church, 1 Corinthians, was written only about 50 years after Christ's death. And already we find Paul scolding church members in Corinth because they're claiming different factions, that they belong to Paul, they belong to Apollos, another teacher, or they belong to Christ. Skip ahead a thousand years and the Eastern Orthodox Church splits from the Roman Catholic Church over a variety of theological disagreements. 500 years after that, Martin Luther nails his 95 theses to the church door in Wittenberg. And again, and again, throughout history, these fractures continue. A few years ago, I visited Tangier Island, a small island in the Chesapeake Bay off the coast of Virginia. Tangier, it's a beautiful island, wonderful people, no more than half a mile square, no more than 700 total inhabitants, and it has two churches one of which, Swain Memorial United Methodist Church, has been there for almost 200 years. It's a beautiful church. And down the road, the New Testament congregation, founded in 1946 because a group of church members at Swain Memorial had some sort of differences they couldn't agree on, and they packed up and went down the road. There's only one road. Unity's hard, and it's hardly the norm for the church. And yet, we continue to profess and to believe that we are, in fact, one body. John Wesley once commented on the divisions he saw in England between the different groups of Christians, and he remarked, Though we cannot think alike, may we not love alike. May we not be of one heart, though we are not of one opinion. Without all doubt, we may. Swain Memorial or Living Testament Church, Church of England or the Roman Catholic Church, North American or African, those who may look like us or not look like us, those who may or may not speak the same way, who may or may not pray the same way, or who may or may not vote the same way as the song goes, because Jesus Christ is the same today and forever. Yes, we are the church together, not because we are the same but because we serve and follow a Christ who is the same today and every day in all places and in all times. That's what we really mean when we say we believe in a Catholic church, that despite all that may separate us, the love of Christ is big and strong enough to unite us. We are all one in the family of God. And this unity extends further beyond geography and culture. It extends even back through time when we proclaim as well that we believe in the communion of the saints. Just as we believe that Christ unites us with Christians across various locations, it also unites us with the faithful from our own past as well. In a formal way, there are those that we call saints, the disciples like St. Matthew, St. Mark, St. Luke, St. John, 
authors of the Bible like St. Paul, or historic heroes of the faith like St. Francis or St. Teresa. To believe in the communion of these saints is to say that we believe their actions in the past and their continued faithfulness in their eternal life in heaven continue to give us strength for our own journey and our life of faith today. I mean, who doesn't benefit, for example, of hearing the story of St. Teresa of Calcutta, how she devoted her life to uplifting the poor, bringing comfort to thousands, inspiring similar acts of charity all around the world, whose goodwill and whose effects continue to be seen today. These people are examples to us that the love of Christ the grace of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, continues to be alive and active and available to us today. That's what lies at the heart of what we believe when we say we believe in the church. We believe in a God who is always and continues to be active in our lives, in your life, and in mine, in the lives of our brothers and sisters all over the world, today and yesterday, over centuries gone by. We believe in each other. We believe that each of us can learn from one another about how to go about our lives and be prepared for both the ups and the downs, for the joys and the struggles, for the days of difficulty and the days of great victory. God has given us each other through the church as a gift to say we go through life together. This is the key point that the author of Hebrews is making in chapter 12 in that first verse when he writes that we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. I mean, what a wonderful phrase, right? To be surrounded by a cloud of witnesses to God's love and God's faithfulness. In the preceding chapter, in chapter 11, the author gives context to who these witnesses are. He encourages readers to have the same faith that began back at the beginning of humankind with the faith of Abel. He talks about the faith of Enoch, the faith of Noah. He goes on to remind us of the faith of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the faith of Sarah, the faith of Moses, the faith of Rahab and Gideon and Samson and David and Samuel, of all the prophets and the men and women throughout Israel's history who who lived exemplary lives of faith. And then he concludes with the most important transition that begins chapter 12 by saying, therefore, therefore, we have all these incredible people who had such great faith and who came before you, and therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, since all those who came before us are still a part of our journey today, since they're with us and around us, we run this race of faith with perseverance together with the saints and with one another and with the assurance of victory through Jesus Christ. Over the last few weeks, you may have, like my household, watched quite a bit of Olympic sports in Tokyo. And some of the highlights over the past week have been the track and field events. So it seems fitting that our scripture today focuses on a vision of faith as a race that we run. What do you picture in your mind when you hear this? The initial image we may have is that we're a sprinter, running as fast as we can towards a finish line. But given the context of the preceding chapter, what the author of Hebrews seems to be setting up is not an image of a single runner headed towards a line, but rather what we might today refer to as a relay race, where we're only running one section of a larger team effort. That's the critical therefore transition in the passage. This is a race that didn't start with us. It began at the moment God created human beings in his image. 
And the saints before us have all run their race, and they've handed off a baton to us so that we can continue the race after them. We take that baton from our parents, from those who may have sat in front of us in church every week, from someone who may have invited us to church for the first time, from the pastors and the ministerial staff who serve this church, or for men and women who lead the children's programs or the Bible study programs throughout the week where they organize local missions in the community and draw us out of our own lives. This is the community that we stand in line with. And they run their race, and they hand that baton to us, and we run ours. But here's the secret. Hebrews makes it clear that our goal isn't to run with our own strength. It isn't up to do this by ourselves, to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and to train for our own faith to be strong. No, we keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Jesus is the one who gives us the strength to get through the life, the race of faith and life together. And in Christ, we already have assurance that at the end, there's victory. When we profess our belief in the church, we claim with a 2,000-plus-year-old confidence that although God could do it on his own, God has instead chosen to work through the church as the primary means of redeeming our world. And it baffles me, and it humbles me, but that's the case. Here we are. Here we are despite ourselves, believing in a church because we believe that it continues to be the place where God gathers his people together to worship and to pray, and to find ourselves in a long line of people whose successes and whose failures are all a part of the great unfolding of God's plan for redemption. We believe the church is holy, not because we are, but because Christ is. And we believe the church is Catholic, not because we are united in love, but because Christ is calling us to be so. And we believe in the communion of the saints, not because we are anywhere near sainthood, but because we are trying to get out of our own way so the Holy Spirit can work every day to move us closer and closer to being more like Christ in all that we say, in all that we think, in all that we do. And Christ promises to meet us here each day in this church building or online or in our homes, or in a parking lot, or anywhere that two or more are gathered, because church is a place where we bring our brokenness and our sinfulness, and we believe God meets us with forgiveness and with reconciliation, where we welcome everyone in to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, and then the Holy Spirit sends us back out to go and to be Christ's hands and feet in the world. And at the end of the day, we believe in the church, because God still believes in us. And if God still believes in you, and if God still believes in me, then what can't the church do for the city of High Point, for our country, and for a world who is in deep, deep need of the transforming and the saving love of Jesus Christ? Amen.